Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. So, my title for today's sermon, it's gone through a few changes over the past few days. Um, I was talking to my sister about it earlier in the week. It's gone through a few titles. But I've landed on this and we'll see where we end up. It's called Escaping Adam's Delusion. Yeah, I know. Escaping Adam's Delusion. Before I get into that, because I don't want to forget, Jonathan, can I just have the, the offering basket? Just have it at the front here. It's behind you, it's just there. Take this out, and this will make sense in a minute. Okay, that'll make sense in a minute. Right, okay, escaping Adam's delusion. We're gonna um, mesh around John 21. Um, which was the last, last chapter in the book of John. Jesus is resurrected in John 20. Um, he has been seen at least twice that we know of. Um, he appeared to the disciples uh, once in the room and then he comes back again for Thomas, as I just referenced just there. Um, an incredible moment for Thomas um, that, you know, I, when I, um, I first preached that from that passage in 2010. Um, it was one of the first times I ever preached. And um, I remember talking about how, you know, Jesus had a busy schedule. He only had 40 days left or whatever, and he made a second trip just to make sure Thomas got his touch. Um, uh, the uh, innocence of youthful sermons. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it's, you know, Jesus is on a schedule and... He was always intentional, wasn't he? He always had a plan and, and there was always, you know, I only do that which I see the Father do. But you can imagine with, with his time on earth coming to an end, it's even more important for us to pay attention to these final moments. And what I said last week really stuck with me and last week's sermon was just incredible. What Dave shared last week just really impacted me. And just really paying attention to the pattern where God has placed us and there's a well and there's this and the things he's doing in our midst and what he's sharing about wealth and the ideas and then how it's resonating with different people and whatnot. What we're hearing during the worship and the songs we're singing and, and the different things that have been written and, and spoken about. John 21, um, just for context, uh, when, I, when I mentioned Peter... I want you to to hear the kind of nickname, and uh, this is what God kind of gave me. Peter is a seeker, okay? He, he's a zealous one. I know I used that before when I had that comparison of Peter and John. John is the beloved, okay, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter is a man of zeal, okay? He's all action. Um, I, had a, uh, <laughs> I had a reference to Peter recently where they were saying, you know how... Jesus said, you know, one of you in this room is going to betray me. And they all went, oh, which one? And he said, nothing. And then John laid his head on his chest and said, who is it? And then Jesus told him, he said, the one who takes a sip of the cup. <laughs> the guy that was preaching was like, imagine if he had told Peter that. Peter would have jumped straight up, got his sword out, and would have been, you know, all action going after him. So it's interesting that Peter wasn't the one chosen in that moment to receive the revelation. Um, but it's also interesting that he's also the disciple whom Jesus loved, who draws closer in intimacy to get the secrets of the Father's heart. That's a whole other sermon. So Peter's a man of zeal. He's a seeker. Okay? So every time we read the name Peter, we have to see him as a seeker. He's a man of zeal, but he's a seeker. And the Lord showed me that this area, Clapham and Battersea, is filled with Simon Peters. So he said to me, he said there was Peters all over. 
men and women of zeal who've lived their lives according to their zeal and their passions. Okay? Everything they do has this a zeal to it, a passion to it, a desire, whatever. Uh, they, they, they seek something, though. But as with, um, with Peter in this, this narrative, they find comfort in the place where their zeal brings success. And we're going to see that in John 21. Verse 1. After this, Jesus let himself be seen and revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he did it in this way. Verse 2. They were together, Simon Peter, remember the seeker, and Thomas called the twin, and Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, also the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, and we are coming with you. So they went out and got into the boat. And throughout that night, they caught nothing. It's very interesting. Jesus has revealed himself as resurrected twice. And your reaction is, I'm going back to life before Jesus. I'm going back to a place called normal. I'm going back to where I had my previous success. I, seeker, man of zeal, I'm going to go back to where I feel comfortable where I know I can get some sort of validation, where I can get some sort of, where my identity was previously found. It's interesting because the last time we hear Peter really talk and he was questioned about his identity, what did he do? He denied Christ, didn't he? So now he's saying, I've denied him. I've forsaken that identity when I had that opportunity. Yes, he's resurrected and I've seen him in his resurrected form. But that hasn't yet pushed me into who I'm going to be. I'm still in this middle, wondering, thanks mum, wondering, you see where I get the preacher from, from, just got the words. I'm in this this middling stage and I don't really know which way to go and I'm, I'm going fishing. And he's got such a leadership quality about him, everyone goes with him. Even Thomas, who was like, I will not believe unless I see. And Thomas, who's even touched the body of the resurrected Christ. Thomas himself, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And Thomas goes, oh, I'm going with you, all right. The seeker. The direction of everyone else is led by this seeker. It's where his identity is found. Fishing is where his identity is found. It's where tangible results bring some sort of relevance. It's not about monetary wealth for these seekers. It's about identity and relevance and his fishing boat becomes a badge of honour. Clapham is filled with these type of individuals. Now, I know a lot of people who live in this area because they all work at my school. <laughs> they take that same line down to East Croydon and, you know. So it's interesting, when I was, I was doing this research, like, I was trying not to merge the two and think, oh, are they... It's not about wealth, but that's what they talk about. And I was like, no, 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 look deeper. They're seeking something. And they're addressed, they're postcode. It's not just about those who have the wealth. It might be those who live in poverty. But the, the, the area code is it's the badge of honour. But they're seeking some sort of relevance. They're seeking something. And so they resort to what is normal for them. Peter assumed a position of leadership. Why? Because this was his custom. Despite the appearance of a resurrected Jesus, he makes a strange decision to return to normal. The existence of a resurrected Jesus was not yet enough to sustain and propel Peter into a fully transformed and purposeful life. It is not just enough just to have a resurrected Jesus. That's truth. But there needed to be something more. We have preached the resurrected Jesus, but our churches are half empty. We've preached the resurrected Jesus, and then our people are still in financial insecurity. There's still sickness, there's still this, there's still that. So I'm not saying that we don't preach that, I'm saying, well, let's, let's see what else we can preach with this truth what what does Jesus come and then bring to the equation when he then now shows up because him showing up in John 20 wasn't enough 
to convince Peter to leave normal behind. Let's jump down to verse 5. So Jesus shows up on the, on the beach side. The disciples don't know it's him. Verse 5, Jesus shouts out to him and goes, Boys, children, lads, you don't have any meat, do you? Have you caught anything to eat along with your bread? They answered him, no. Do you know what that is? That's a word of knowledge. Yeah. What have we been talking about the past few weeks? Word of knowledge. What are we going to believe for when we go into Clapham Common? Word of knowledge. So we're preaching the resurrected Christ, and then we're going to go out with a word of knowledge. You haven't, you haven't fixed that situation with your parents yet, have you? What? Oh, I know you got that promotion, but you still haven't dealt with that debt, have you? Oh, how did you know? We're standing on the beach side, and we're going to have the opportunity to not revel in our, in any sort of sense of arrogant, you know, knowledge or whatever, puffed up pride, but to be able to humbly say to people, "I hear what you're saying, but there's something else I need to ask you." Can I just ask you about that situation with your ex-girlfriend? Can I ask you about that police situation that you've got the court date in two weeks' time? You're really worried about that, aren't you? You haven't told any of the guys about that, have you? Do they know? Don't worry, I'm not going to expose you. I just wanted to pray with you about it. Because Jesus knows. So we're going to these seekers with a word of knowledge from a stranger. And then in verse 6... I'm going through this quite quickly because I want to get to escaping Adam's delusion. In verse 6, the miracle takes place. So verse 6, Jesus says to them, cast a net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast a net and now they were not able to haul it in for such a big catch. Mass quantity of fish was in it. Okay? So, we're now in a situation, right, where... For now, we've seen this before, haven't we, in the scripture? We've seen this before. Cast your net on the other side. All right, we'll give you a couple of seconds. So he's turned up at the beach, sees them from afar, gives them a word of knowledge, right, from a stranger, and the miracle is connected to the word of knowledge. Hey, just want to pray about that situation with your mum. I know your mum just got whisked to hospital two days ago. We're just going to pray about it. Call her now, see how she's doing. Oh, mate, you never guess what? Yo, my sister just texted me as you were praying, saying that mum's just woken up. Yeah, that's what Jesus does. You know, I've had one word imprinted on my spirit since yesterday. Imagine. Dot, dot, dot. The Lord's had me imagining some wild things. I've been listening to a lot of Bill Johnson. I think that's why. Just imagine. Just imagine. Just whatever miracle you can imagine, imagine. Like you go out there and, you know, you speak to someone and they say that the mum died two days ago. Imagine the mum comes back to life. Just, why not? I felt someone's no there. I felt someone go, get back. So I wanted to tell you about the boy at Nain. And I wanted to tell you about Lazarus. But you guys know that story. So why don't you believe? Come on. Just imagine. Okay. I'll work on it. Another thing the Lord said to me, and I want to say this before I forget, because it's not actually in my notes. I didn't write it down. Is... um, even in this number, imagine how the 120 felt when Pentecost hit. Because no one remembers 125. No one remembers when the number got to 150, 170, 3000, 3001. It just became Christians. But everyone remembers the 120. Everyone remembers those who started the fire. Everyone remembers those who started Azusa. Those are the names that enter the book. And the Lord just said to me this morning when I was driving down, he goes, just encourage them to stay with it. Yeah, that's right. I know you walk in, sometimes you go, ah, 
empty chairs. Okay. Cool. How long are we here again? Oh, come on, pray. Okay, go up a little bit. And it's easy to kind of get discouraged. Like, let's be real. It's easy. You know, it's our third week. It's our fourth week. It hasn't hit yet. Da, da, da. But when it hits, yes, that's right. we never, we, we won't get this moment back where you can come in and just get a seat. Because when there's a queue going around yeah. and there's no parking <laughs> and you've got a fight to get in past the lame and the blind and the deaf because they're all queuing up and going, I heard about this Jesus. And you're like, yeah, but, yeah, but this is my church. <laughs> <laughs> I, was here, I was here back in February. <laughs> you wouldn't be doing that. No. You'd be healing them in the line, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just be encouraged. Verse 7. I love, this is our crux. This is where we're going to park for a little bit. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Simon Peter, hearing him say that it was the Lord, put on his upper garment, his fisherman's coat, his outer tunic, for he was stripped for work and sprang into the sea. So, John, the beloved, says to the seeker, it was the Lord. The first thing I want to say is, the role of the beloved is to, is to reveal the Lord to the seeker. So it's important that we are so full of this revelation of the love of God so that we can see him show up in the situation and go, hey, that's Jesus, you know. So when the seekers are just searching, 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 we can reveal to them in these moments, whether it be in a miracle, in a word of knowledge, in a, in a hug, in an embrace, in a, in a coffee, in a, I'm just going to pay, I'm paying forward, you're standing there, you know, trying to get a burrito after church, down on Clapham High Street, there's a very nice burrito place, we've been there a few times. <laughs> He's waiting, and he's like, hey, bub, I'm going to pay it for you. Yeah, oh, no, no, it's all good. No, 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 be my blessing. All good, I got you. No, man, I'm fine. We insist. <laughs> you know, every time I've done that, I always say to them, I'm a Christian. I have to. It's what we do. And they, all, they always go, oh, okay. <coughs> and then they go, what do you mean it's what we do? And then instantly I'm having a conversation about blessing. I said, oh, yeah, you know, well, we believe in blessing others and... They probably never heard that part of the gospel. They've heard about the resurrected Christ. They probably watch songs of praise on Easter Sunday or whatnot. But they probably haven't heard about blessing others. Now, I don't need to go into the blessing of Abraham and in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed and covenants and all seven of them and Davidic and... I didn't need to go into all that. My father is a cat on the thousand hills. I don't need to go into all that detail. But just a simple... By the way, this is just what we do. My church is around the corner and if you want to ever come and hear some more about it you know what hit me up on my Instagram or take my number okay evangel be an angel be someone who helps in the time of need be a messenger bring a message what is your message today to bring to them sometimes we overcomplicate it so we bring a miracle we bring a word of knowledge and then we reveal Christ, we reveal an aspect of him, we reveal his mercy, we reveal his forgiveness, we reveal his love, we reveal his grace to the seeker. But Peter jumped into the sea. But remember I said, we've seen this whole cast your net on the other side thing before. So we're going to look at that quickly, Luke 5, 8. And I just want to just compare notes on both Situations. I want you to hold John 21 in your mind. And we're going to go to Luke 5, 8. So context, so Jesus is preaching to the masses, turns to Peter, says, hey, let me borrow your boat, gets into the boat, preaches, and then says, oh, you know, how many fish did you catch? He's like, oh, I didn't catch anything. Right, casting on the other side. Does that. Gets a massive haul of fish. Brings it in. And at that moment, this is Peter's response. He saw this. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, 
for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So in Luke 5, three and a half years previously, he says, get away from me. In John 21, he jumps into the sea, fully clothed, and swims to him. Peter's original response to more fish was to highlight his own sin and choose distance over nearness. What had changed? Let's go to 1 John 1, 5. My sister wrote a song about this. I think, I think it was this scripture she did. And this is the message, the message of promise. This is John Ryan, which we have heard from him. Who's him? Jesus. Okay. And now are reporting to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. No, not in any way. Hold on. Hold on, hold on. Let's go back to verse 5. John says, this is the message we heard from Jesus. God is light. And he says, this is the message we heard from Jesus. And we're now telling you, God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. Where is that in the Gospels? There is no direct quote where Jesus says, I'm like, there's no darkness within me. He says, I'm the light of the world or whatever. But this message is spread over three and a half years. And for three and a half years, Jesus preached this message in every single thing he did. So between Luke 5.8 and John 21, Peter lived with the light in whom there is no darkness to the point that he went from depart from me for I am a sinner to there's something about you that I'm going to want to spring into the sea. Why? In Luke, let's go one one level deeper. In Luke, Peter responds the same way Adam did. Adam, this is what we're going to call Adam's delusion. Actually, before I go into that, here's a question. Did God ever, does God ever change? No. Okay. When Adam fell, okay, or when he ate the fruit, whatever, did God go from being a God who desired intimacy beforehand to a God who rejected intimacy after? No. So whose perspective of God and intimacy changed? That's Adam's delusion. It was Adam's perspective of God that changed. Because God still showed up. Adam sinned and then hid. And in doing that, he took all of us in his loins and taught us that the response to sin is to hide and to wrap ourselves in shame because there's no way he could want to have fellowship with us. And God's like... No, you've got me all wrong. I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to deal with this. I want to come close. I want to meet with you. I want to talk to you. I want where sin abounds, my grace much more abounds. I want to hold you because you messed up. You tripped over. And as a father, when you trip up, the first thing I'm going to do is pick you up. I would never tell you to leave my house and just kick you out. Oh, but he kicked them out of the garden, didn't he? Of course he did. Because if they'd eaten from the tree of life in their fallen state, they'd been eternally damned. It was an act of mercy. It's an act of love. Because God is love. Because he's light. There's no darkness in him. We, Adam focused on the, there's no darkness in him, so there's no way he could want to come close to me. And so he hid, Eve, come, 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 come. There's no way he could want to talk to us anymore. And, and God shows up and says, no, no, no. You've got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong. Adam, in his delusion, hid from a God who was still yearning for communion. He misjudged his fatherhood and in doing so set in stone a twisted mythology of judgment and wrath that religion has weaponized to hold sway over generations of believers even to this day. Yeah. So true. 
the idea that when we sin, we must hide from him, flies in the face of the truth of scripture. Because when Adam sinned, God showed up for the usual evening chat. Adam ran for God, from God and convinced us all that it was a natural and normal response to adopt when we sin. Except, no one told Enoch that. Because somehow, he discovered a truth that enabled him to walk with the Lord and not taste death. No one told Moses this. Because even after he hit the rock that he should have spoken to, he still lived life face to face with his friend. No one told David this. He was a poor husband. He was an even worse father in some respects. He had a dead child as a result of his adultery. And he runs straight from the cemetery to the temple. Because the presence of God had been the only place he chose for comfort since the fields of Bethlehem. Somehow, throughout all of Jewish history, there's these little stories and examples of men and women who realised there's something about this Yahweh. They didn't yet call him Abba. But they were tasting and seeing of his goodness. And they said, even if I make my bed in the gates of what? Sheol. There you are. How? How could it be? Because Adam hid. But even if I was to make my bed as far as way, and then we can't we realize that as far as the east is from the west. What? You're, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I don't, I don't understand it. I, I, I don't understand it, but I'm seeing it in part. That's what the scripture says later on. It says they saw it in part. And then Jesus shows up and he reveals in full. So where Peter responded like any Jewish boy would, he goes, huh. that's what Adam did. Three years later, having lived with the light, <coughs> sorry, and having Christ having revealed the Father in his purest and truest self, he then realized actually the delusion of Adam has been destroyed. And where previously I would have hid, and I would have said, Depart from me, get away from me. Even though the last time you heard me speak, I denied you. I'm going to jump into the sea and come close. What did Adam do? He denied his relationship. So I'm going to take this route, not that route. Peter, I'm going to take this route, not that route. And he was faced with a decision. And the beloved turned around and said, Hey, seeker. There's your saviour. There's the one who is light, in whom there is no darkness. And he turned around and said, I need to get close to him. Because Peter had heard this message, this same message. He'd heard it when he heard the story about the, the heir with the inheritance who'd ended up in a pigsty. I call it the story of the parable of the heir because he's not a prodigal anymore. So he came home, didn't he? So he's not prodigal. And he heard about this father who patiently waited day in, day out. And he's like, so he must not be who Adam told me he was. Because if he was who Adam told me he was, then he wouldn't have, shown, he wouldn't have been waiting and I believe if you study it out, and I'm, I've done a little bit of study, if you study it out, it's like the father would actually leave his house and come to the end of the road and wait to see. He was at, he was at the city gates or something. He literally would stand and wait, waiting for his son. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. That's not who Adam told me. But what about my, my Israelite ancestors who when he showed up on the mountaintop they turned around and said no 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 stay up there we're going to go down here what about that that's, that's still within me and then Jesus starts 
talking about, okay, and then someone asked me, Thomas said, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. They all close their eyes. I've said this so many times. They all close their eyes. He said, this is how you pray. When you pray, say this, Abba. What? I thought thought we start with Yahweh. I thought we start with Elohim. I thought we start with one of those other names. You're saying, Abba, that's a common term of affection. I call call my father that. I call, John, don't you call uh, Zebedee that? Don't you call, yeah, that 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 sounds sacrilegious. Are you sure? The things he's saying sound wrong, but they are right because it, it hits something deeper than Adam. It hits. What, what am I feeling here? What Jesus was doing, he was connecting Peter, not to Genesis 2 or 3, but to Genesis 1. He was placing him back in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our own image, and place him in the middle of our perichoresis, in the middle of our dance, and let us lavish him with love. And let him love us back. Peter's all of a sudden like, if that is true, I know what I did last night. I know what I did a few days ago. I know what I said. And he knows what I said. I know I even cut off a man's ear. <coughs> but I can go. I can get close. So he heard it in the parable of the air. He heard it in the prayer the, the Disciples' prayer, the Abba. He heard it when Jesus was talking about the rich young ruler and talking to him and heard it maybe when Jesus was recounting about Nicodemus and that midnight visit and Jesus was sharing all these things as they're walking from Galilee to Capernaum to this, that. He heard it when Jesus was groaning in prayer and said, Father, you've heard my prayer, Lazarus. Rise. He was like, there must be no darkness in this God in this Elohim. And you know what? You've heard that message as well. I've heard that message. I'm going to speak about myself. I've heard that message. I hear it every morning when he knocks. When he knocks. He says, son. Son, I want to talk to you. He knocks on my heart's door. Whether I've been good, bad or ugly. He says, son, I want to talk to you. I've got things to share with you. I've got, when you next talk to the people at CCF, I want you to share this. Yeah, but don't you want to talk about those thoughts or that moment or that? No, no, no. We'll get to that. Allow me to wash you with my love first. Yeah, but I've got all this dirt. I know. But come. Let me give you a hug. Let's go for a walk. Let's have a talk. I say, yeah, but I, I just want to wallow a little bit. He says, we don't do that around here. That's the old covenant where you had to purify yourself for seven days before you could even walk in anywhere near me. No, no, no. Just come. Jump up in my arms. And I'm like, really? Is that true? Can I? I remember I had a dream once. I was at David's tent. My second year. My second year at David's tent. The first year, some incredible things that happened. And the second year, I walked in with all this pressure because now they knew what I carried the year before. And they, were, they gave me this nickname based on what happened the year before. And I remember saying to Lucy, I said, Luce, I don't know if I can do this. I said, I've got all these people coming up to me going, oh my gosh, I remember last year, you really blessed me, didn't I was like, how am I going to do that set? I've got hundreds of people waiting. For... I'm, just, I'm just a kid. She was like, oh, you know. Just put her... She just kind of tapped me and just like, we'll get through it. <laughs> and I had a dream that night. And in the dream, I might have said this before, I walked into a bedroom and um, the bedroom was all neat and tidy and the Holy Spirit was in the corner of the bedroom. And he said, you can have a look. So I went and looked in his drawers. And I looked in another drawer. And I said, can I look at that one? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I opened it up. 
Can I look in the wardrobe? Yeah, go on, son. Looks in the wardrobe. And I'm having fun, and he's enjoying my excitement and my adventure. And so we're just laughing and joking, and I think we had a little pillow fight and whatnot. And I remember the last thing I asked him, I said, can I jump on your bed? Now, any parent knows the final frontier, the final boundary of tidiness. Don't jump on my bed. Get your feet off my bed. I said to him, I said, can I jump on the bed? And he went silent for me. Oh, I jumped so high. <laughs> I'm jumping, I'm jumping, I'm jumping. I'm spinning, and he then jumped on with me. And we're jumping, and we're spinning, we're spinning. And then I woke up. I said, Lord, what's that? He said, that's worship. He said, anything and everything is possible. Just follow me. From that moment on, I've never, ever looked at people's faces and their expectations. I've walked into environments, I've walked into rooms and people said, oh, yeah, the man of God is here. Yo, hey, take my keyboard, man. I've had people say all sorts of foolishness. You know, and I get it, and I understand, and I, I understand the, the honour that they're trying to express. I also understand sometimes it comes from insecurity and sometimes their own inverted lack of identity. Um, but the Lord has is, is blessed me. And they had this kind of, you know, oh, okay, cool. Let's hear him speak. Let's do this. And every moment I'm reminded, the Lord says, just follow me. But what about this? What about that? Just follow me. There's a whole generation of people in and around this area who are seeking. But the moment you present Jesus to them, what they will present back to you is Adam's delusion. Mm, yes. And they will say to you, mm-hmm. but I can't because I haven't yeah. got myself together. Mm-hmm. And if you allow them to stay there, mm-hmm. we will miss a moment. Yeah. And they will allow their intellect to move them out of faith. They will allow their experiences to move them out of faith. They will allow... They will literally... They will have the miracle. Their, their nets are bulging. They've got the miracle. Their, their ACL has been repaired. Their, their mum's just woken out of a coma. And they're, they're, it's prime fish. <laughs> yeah? We're going to be fishers of men. We've got to speak in this language. The, the, the bait has been, you know, I don't, I've never fished in my life. Okay, so I don't know the correct language, but, you know, bait, hook, right? you got them. But if you allow them to wriggle off that, by setting in on Adam's delusion and saying, yeah, but, and then you say, yeah, you're right. By agreeing with what Adam decided, he was supposed to hide, to wrap himself in shame and guilt. No, our message must be stronger than that. Our determination and our faith must be stronger than that. We must make it our desire to say, look, we're going to help you escape Adam's delusion. The God that we serve is a God of light in whom there is no darkness. Amen. And he is so pure. His light is so pure that if you would give him a hug, all the darkness inside of you would dissipate. And this is what I discovered. And this is what the Lord has shown me every single time. Every time he knocks and I talk about my dirt, he says, come closer. And by the time we're done, there is no more dirt. And it gets me every time. I'm like, just 45 minutes ago, I was racked with doubt and confusion about X, Y, Z. We had a conversation on Tuesday about something, something I thought I'd dealt with a couple of years ago. And it came up in prayer. And um, he said, yeah, we need to talk about this. He's still, <laughs> this is still there. And I went... I, I was shocked. I went, really? I said, oh, okay. And I, I was very humble to say, all right, yeah. And I said, Lord, oh. I, I said, Lord, man, I thought, I thought we dealt with this, man. I was just doing money, actually. 
So I thought we'd dealt with this. And I remember saying to him, I said, so, so how, how do we finally knock this on its head? And I said, I went, Father, show me, show me how to deal with this. And he said, what was the first word you just said? I went, Father. He said, that's it. I went, what, what do you mean? He said, that's it. That's how you deal with it. See me as father. Oh. So I've prayed one word all week <laughs> over my finances. Father, I've not said another word. Not another word. Every time I've looked at my bank account, I've said, Father. Every time I've gone to spend some money, Father. <laughs> Putting petrol in the car this morning, Father. Because only a father can provide for a son. Amen. Father. 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 That's just where I'm at. And that's the journey. So by the time I'd finished praying, I was like, ah. And I felt so much better than I felt than, than you know, 45 minutes earlier, however long it had been. But if I had chosen to stay in the delusion and go, oh, I've got to fix this myself. I've got to toil the land. I've got to, ah. And I've got to engage with the curse. And da 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 Enoch is the one that gets me. Because what did he find? What did he discover about? Because if you do the study, he was alive. I mean, he was alive at the same time as Adam. So his great, great, great grandfather is there talking and saying, hey, this is my mistake. The reason why, you know, the reason why your wife is going through this stuff every month is all on me and wifey. It's on us and, you know. He lived before, you know, turtle doves and pigeons and all the other stuff. Lived before a tabernacle. All of this. But he discovered something that brought him into a place of intimacy that no one else encountered outside of Jesus. Even David, man after God's own heart, didn't have that level of intimacy. So much so that God said... Oh my gosh. <clears throat> Verse 10 in John 21. And I think I'm going to probably end here. I think this is the shortest message I've ever preached. <laughs> it's a little joke amongst the leadership team. <laughs> Verse 10. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you've just caught. So the seeker went aboard and hauled the net to land. Full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were not so many of them, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of, but none of the disciples ventured or dared to ask him, who are you? Because they well knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so also with the fish. The miracle becomes the feast that we, which we dine on of Jesus. The miracles that we see, that we're going to see, not only just here in the building, but out there, will become a feast that we dine on. I believe we're going to get to the point we can't keep track. You know, we ever, if you ever listen to Bill Johnson talk about Bethel, they're now at a point that it's like, they just happen. They happen in the mall, they happen in, in the corridors, they happen all over. There, there are so many, they, they can't keep track. It's like how John 21 ends. So many things that Jesus did, there were not enough books written in a lot of volumes to put it all in. Okay, even the world itself, what a great word, even the world itself could not contain. Okay? And it's then interesting because a few chapters later in the biblical narrative, okay, Just two chapters later, the seeker is now the speaker. And he's now anointed by the Holy Spirit and he's bringing the nations to Christ. 
So Peter goes from, I'm here, I'm content with normal. I'm just living my life here in Clapham. I'm seeking for something. I don't even know I'm seeking for it, but I'm just in normal. I've got this thing in my past, which we don't talk about. We all know what happened. Me and Jesus know what happened. But I'm just doing normal and I'm leading people and, and it's cool. We're all right. As long as it stays normal. Then a word of knowledge shows up. A miracle happens. And then all of a sudden these, these singing bunch from some school around the corner point out Jesus to me in the midst of all this stuff. And in my own sea of normal... I find Jesus. I swim across and I find my Jesus. And then Jesus and I, we then begin to have this communion. And we begin to feast. Our first feast is around this miracle that has occurred in my life. And the miraculous. And that becomes our thing to just discuss and we talk about that. Because it's easy to talk about the supernatural first. But it's a gateway, isn't it? The miracles are a gateway in, into conversation. You heal someone's broken leg. It's very easy to talk about that. But if you notice John 21, after that, Jesus then goes, right, John, now you go to Peter, let's, let's have a chat. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Amen. So he starts with, they're all having a chat around the miracle and you know they're eating the fish. That was the miracle from before. That's the communion. And then he goes, right, let's do some hard work. So he takes the seeker to one side and deals with the heart issue. Then he puts him back into the community and says, wait, you're going to get hit with something. Just wait. And then the time comes and all of a sudden a destiny arrives. And the seeker then becomes the speaker, so much so that others think he's drunk. And he says, we are not drunk, but that which Joel prophesied has now come to bear. And Peter, who has escaped Adam's delusion and chosen nearness over distance, has done all the hard work, has passed the point of the miraculous. He's no longer needing the miraculous to get him by. He now has enough on the inside to find a bit of purpose. And he can now stand there in front of 3,000 and more and say, let me introduce you to a man from Galilee. Okay. If we rely on the signs and wonders, we'll produce surface-level disciples. Those are the disciples who just return to the fisher, the, the boat, as soon as times get tough. They return to normal when things don't look the way it should. But if we could find a way to introduce them through the miraculous bring them into community, we dine on the miraculous, yeah, and then we say, right, we need, we've got some hard work to do. Let's deal with this. This is what discipling looks like. This is what a home group looks like. We're going to have to talk about that addiction. We're going to have to talk about your connection to the occult. We're going to have to talk about your history of this and, and the drinking and the whatever. We're going to have to talk about that. Let's talk about your gambling. Let's talk about your promiscuity, all that stuff. We're going to have to talk about this stuff. We like the fact that you're in the church. We're going to talk about it and deal with it. And in time, the end point is the 3,000. That's where we're ending up, where the seeker becomes the speaker. But it starts with choosing nearness over distance. Father, we thank you that in this room... There is a whole company of believers who have in some way, somehow escaped Adam's delusion. And yet, we ask your Holy Spirit to shine a light and reveal any areas in our lives where that delusion may still exist. Where when you show up and you move, we instantly go, no. We instantly shrink away because we choose shame, we choose guilt, as opposed to nearness and embrace. It's sobering, Father God. It's sobering to submit ourselves to your scalpel. 
that you may just cut some of this stuff away. But we submit ourselves to it that we might be whole, that we might be better, that we might be more like you, Christ. So please, Jesus, we welcome, we welcome your light. And as we, as we've already said, in you there is no darkness. And if in you there is no darkness, we boldly say, as we embrace you and as we are changed into your likeness, in us there is no darkness. We are the light of the world. We will be your believers. You will set us upon a hill. And men and women and children will flock to the house of the Lord when they hear of your goodness. So be your name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Spirit of God, fall afresh. Fall afresh, Holy Spirit. Yeah, come on. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, we ask that you take <clears throat> take a wrecking ball to any frameworks that we've built over over time. Frameworks that we built to protect ourselves, um, that we thought were protecting us from you in a weird, twisted way of self-preservation. Sometimes we do that in our fear, in our doubt. We have to learn, Father God, to trust you. To learn to give you our whole heart. What it means to really submit ourselves to you. Thank you, Lord. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 